0: Welcome to our show, Get Real Local in the Tennessee River Valley. I'm your host, Joe Harper. Every show, we will be talking with local people about the best places and things to do in the Tennessee Valley. Pull up a chair and explore more with us as we get real local.
1: Welcome back to this week's episode of Get Real Local in the Tennessee Valley. This is Julie, and I'm sitting in for our host, Joe Harper. Today, we'll be talking with Joseph Gamble, ranger at Norris Dam State Park, one of the first state parks in Tennessee. He originally hails from Etowah, Tennessee, a local boy, in the Telico Lake and Cherokee National Forest area of the Tennessee Valley. His background is history. Since 2010, he has worked at historic parks such as Fort Loudon, Davy Crockett Birthplace, and Sergeant Alvin C. York Park. Welcome, Joseph.
0: Thanks for having me, Ms. Julie. Okay,
1: great. Joseph, since arriving at Norris Dam State Park two years ago, you've taken a deep dive into the history of the park. Tell us a bit about the park and its history and um, any of the buildings, unique things that are there.
0: Right, so um so North Dam State Park, uh, for those of y'all that aren't uh, familiar Uh, was officially established as a Tennessee State Park in 1953. However, the gates originally opened back in 1936. Uh, The park was built by the Civilian Conservation Corps as part of New Deal projects, alongside the construction of Norris Dam by the Tennessee Valley Authority. So as soon as the dam was officially finished in February of 1936, uh, and electricity could be brought to the park, all of the cabins that have been built over the previous three years are now open. And so the park would see numerous visitors coming in 1935, 36, um, all the way up through until actually during the Second World War, uh, the park was taken over and used to house workers for the Manhattan Project at Oak Ridge, being just down the road. Um, So you have one of the earliest uh, well-traveled open public parks in the state of Tennessee and actually technically predates the park service itself for the state. Uh, These CCC camps, uh, there was one on the park that is in ruins. It's preserved. We have interpretive signs and a hiking trail that goes to it. Uh, We have the historic cabins that were built by the CCC, the tea room that was originally serving as a restaurant on the park that now is a rental facility. Basically, half of the park on the east side, including trails and everything, was all built by the CCC back during the New Deal and has been basically a hub of recreation in East Tennessee for the last 90 years. Um, and to tie on to that, Norris Lake, because you can't separate the uh, the park and the dam and the lake, uh, the lake is really the first true recreational lake that we have in the state. So when everyone thinks of coming to East Tennessee for boating and fishing and all that sort of thing, that that wasn't a thing until Norris Lake and in turn Norris Dam State Park. Um, also on the east side, we have not just the park itself that was built, but we also have a few other even even older items. So while the park is being built, there are numerous local families that are being relocated from the dam's construction, uh, from the flooding. Uh, One of these, uh, a fellow named Rufus Rice, uh, his family had been in the area since 1798. Uh, and had a gristmill that was built by his original ancestor that settled in the area. Um, And there was an effort made to try to preserve that gristmill from being destroyed by the floodwaters. And so uh, it was actually dismantled by those CCC workers and then brought over from Union County to the park and re-erected on Clear Creek, and it still stands there today. Um, There is also the Lenore Museum, which opened in the 1960s. Basically, the collection of a local fellow named William Lenore, who spent his life collecting items and stories of local history of people from the Clinch River Valley. Uh, it opened in the uh, excuse me in the mid 1970s, um, and there also right next to it is the Caleb Crosby Threshing Barn, which uh, again historic agricultural building from the 1830s. Uh, removed and re-erected to preserve it from the floodwaters of Cherokee Lake. Uh, so all just within a short little bit on, uh, on the park, we have quite a bit of history and spans quite a few stories in American history.
1: So one of the buildings that I think is kind of fun, too, when we talk about the TVA is there's an old trout lab. And today you can go into that Trout Lab and have a little beer. Is that true?
0: Absolutely. Um, the uh, the park actually sort of surrounds it, but it's uh, um, it's a beautiful little building. Um, it was a TVA um, Trout Lab, essentially. Um, of course, it was sold off and is now uh, uh, home of the Clinch River Brewery. Uh, <clears throat> not that I go there all that often, but uh, uh, I can confirm their food is fantastic. The people are great, as is their beer. Um one interesting thing with that, though, is in keeping with TVA. Whenever we talk about TVA and and the area, again, when Norris Lake and the dam is built, it's it's the first of the TVA projects, and it was all this was new. But but they could tell what was going to happen, and and when when they officially closed the dam in uh, 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 the early months of 1936, they completely killed the river, and they knew this was going to happen. There are photos of of the lake backing up, and the riverbed is dry. They preemptively built fish hatcheries to, to reinvigorate the ecosystem, and it, they continue to stock and, and, and manage and, and maintain that ecosystem uh, all the way up to today. So uh, that brewery uh, that was once one of those trout labs back in the day.
1: So, Joseph, you are quite a historian, and you started your career in some of the most historic parks as far as parks that celebrate history. Um, two of those were Davy Crockett and Fort Loudoun. How does the mission of Norris Dam compare to the mission of those two historic parks? Is there, is there something similar or something different?
0: Well, for one thing, and from a historical standpoint, it's it's much more modern. So, so obviously, so Fort Loudon uh, was a British fort built during the 1750s during the French and War. Arguably, one of the earliest uh, uh, intentionally permanent European settlements in what's now the state of Tennessee. Um, a, a major part of that story before America was even a country. David Crockett' birthplace, of course, the early American. You have the the birthplace of. of one of the most famous heroes of, of the state of Tennessee. With both of them, you have a very specific story that is being told. You either have this fort, the soldiers who lived there, the diplomacy with the Cherokee, and you could branch it out into the larger reaches of the French Indian War, what was going on. But that is its story. With David Crockett's birthplace, again— this is David Crockett and his story. What was life like for him, for his family? At the broadest, you could expand it to generic settlers in the, in the uh, 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 early days of the American Republic. But still, that's a story. Norris Dam is a lot more varied. You have the overarching story of the Great Depression. You have an overarching story of, of Appalachia, and I would argue a very pivotal time. Um, I've often said on some of my programs that if you had to pick a specific point in a timeline where you have, for lack of a better term, the beginnings of the death of old Appalachia, it would be 1936 with the closing of Norris Dam. Not only does it bring a coming of uh, modernity, one might say, but a, a new idea of what civilization in, in some ways makes the world smaller. And Appalachia is no longer as remote as it once was. Um, but uh, you, have, you have that, you have the CCC, you have the individual stories of these men from New York and from all over the nation uh, of all different backgrounds who, uh, who sign up for three hot meals a day, 30 bucks a month to get through the depression and become part of something larger that eventually turns into the birth of modern American environmental movements. Uh, you have... Engineering history of the dam itself. How is it built? Norris Dam Marina that's right next to it has a massive bluff. That was the rock quarry where they built it. How did these guys go about making this? How was Who was recruited for this? The stories of the individual families in the area. Uh, and then to broaden even further beyond that, look at the history of the area. We we're in uh, Rocky Top or Lake City, Tennessee, was originally Coal Creek, home of the Coal Creek War, one of the largest labor uprisings uh, in American history in the late 1800s. You have the Civil War uh, tramps through uh, lots of bushwhack activity in Anderson and Campbell County, uh, East Tennessee, a hotbed of Unionist sentiment uh, and anti-Confederate feeling. Um, You have connections with some of these families, some of these folks into most all of the wars America was involved in, with the First World War, uh, the Second World War, all the way, of course, up through the present. There is virtually no end, as far as East Tennessee history is concerned, that Norris Dam does not, in some way, uh, touch. So it's, I suppose, to to give a definitive answer, it's it's a much more broad story, and that's not even getting into. Uh, the naturalism and environmental side of things. We have uh, we we try to talk about more than just history. That's just my forte, but we uh, uh, we try to cover everything. It's one of the best places to view spring wildflowers I know of in in the next three counties.
1: I would agree with that. I've been out there walking in both Norris Dam and in the accompanying watershed for wildflowers, and I would also attest that your um, bird trail. Is a beautiful trail as well. Absolutely. But I love that you dove deep into the wars. One of your real interests in a new program that you ran this summer, and I think we're hoping you're going to run again, is a program called Family Stories Genealogy Workshop. And it's based on military records, according to some of the things you've told me. Tell us how you got interested in this work.
0: Um, so, a little bit of background. Um, I've always sort of been a history nerd, I guess you could say. Uh, so were my parents. Uh, my parents and my grandparents, when I was uh, growing up, were big into genealogy. Um, they had studied and, of course, traced the family lines back as, as, far, as, as far as they could get. Um, and so, I remember, of course, being you know five, six years old, running up and down the, uh, the library stacks, pulling, pulling records for, for my parents to then go through and whatnot. Um, when I worked at Sergeant Alvin C. York State Park, um is one of those in the wintertime, you're trying to find uh, good in, indoor activities for people to, uh, to come and a- attend, and I started doing a, a genealogy workshop that was specifically based off of World War I uh, veteran ancestors. So basically what I did was, it was a paid program, so you 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 paid, you signed up, and when you did, you emailed me the name of an ancestor uh, that you believe had served in the First World War. And then I, and this would be about two months in advance, and I would research that person as best I could. What unit did they serve in? What likely did they do? What essentially was their service history? And I would type this up as a narrative. And then when you showed up for the workshop, it was about an hour long talk of how to go about doing genealogy and you got your packet of whatever was involved, and we would discuss. And it was very popular. It always went over well, and I always, of course, enjoyed doing it. So when I came to Norris, obviously I don't want to focus on World War I entirely, but a more broad example. So I started doing this version, and it is partly based off of military records, mostly for the reason if you've done genealogy. Um, it helps a lot if, you, if, you're, if the person you're looking for has served in the military because the military – Has as a general rule has kept better records. Uh, It's easier to find out, I should say, than some civilian records. There's all there's only so much you can get from a census record, Um, but military records often will tell uh, tell a very deep story of someone's experiences. Um, One of the uh, the big things that I've tried to or that I've found out in doing this though is I've had a lot of folks who chime in who are descendants of those families that were relocated by. The Tennessee Valley Authority. in um, one very uh, fortuitous uh, thing is that uh, Ancestry.com, which I'm a big fan of, obviously I don't work for Ancestry, but uh, it makes it very easy to access public records. They have recently uh, uh, added to their website the Tennessee Valley Authority family relocation records for all of the different dams, including the Norse Project. Uh, so of course I can for that to folks, if they want to get a subscription and look it up on their on their own, but the TVA when when they relocated these folks, they made a good point in sending out their caseworkers to interview and not only write down everything that folks owned for appraisal purposes and and reimbursement, but also notes about the person's attitude towards relocating, towards movement. Do they have family in the area? All this sort of thing, and it is a, a goldmine if you're if you're uh, researching your own family history, but also coming at it from you know, my perspective as someone who's trying to tell the story of the park and the building of the dam, is I can I can spend and I have spent days just going through these individual records and and looking, especially the folks who lived on what is now the park. And looking at records of how big their house was, what their story was, if they had family uh, that had passed and and those graves had to be relocated from off the park or, in some cases, onto the park. There is one uh, famous uh, part of the park that we feature on a lot of our fall boat cruises known as Hill Cave. Um, Mr. Daniel Hill owned that property. um, And there was an old, uh, 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 for example, there was an old uh, uh, folktale that uh, his wife was so distraught at having to move that she uh, committed suicide by drowning herself in the cave. And this story had been told to us by by local folks and whatnot for a long time, and it was one of those things I kind of took it as, well, there there must be something off this. So I went and looked up Mr. Hill, and I go and I dig through and, and I find his record, and I find where the caseworker mentions uh, that, yes, he did have a wife who did commit suicide but it was 20 years prior. So it had nothing to do with the dam, actually, but nevertheless. So there's a lot of interesting stories. And, of course, as, as sad as that is, it, it's, it's one of those interesting things that you wouldn't be able to find out, um, sometimes without going back through this paperwork. Um, but speaking of military records, though, um, I saw – I started to, to – overlap a little with what I did back at York. Uh, When I was doing my latest one, um, there's a family that was very prominent in the Sharps Chapel region, uh, the Steiner family. Uh, Mr. Curtis Steiner, one of these, uh, we like to say, sort of became the face of the family removal of Norris Dam. There was a photograph taken of him by Mr. Lewis Hine, and it was published in numerous newspapers across the nation. And he kind of became the face of the Tennessee mountain man, so to speak, uh, as it were. Well, As I was going through these records for a descendant, uh, I came across a Mr. Sherman Steiner and a Mr. Monroe Steiner, who were cousins of of Curtis and both served in the First World War. Uh, Mr. Sherman Steiner served in an engineer unit and was wounded and declared 100% disabled at the end, and he came back to work on his farm as best as he could in 1919. Mr. Monroe Steiner, however, uh, was a a corporal in the 117th U.S. Infantry Regiment, Of the Tennessee National Guard, the 117th was the East Tennessee Regiment, and they were the first battalion was recruited from around the Knoxville area. And he was in the first battalion. Um, They saw very heavy fighting up in Belgium, and he himself was actually killed on the morning of October seventh, nineteen eighteen. My my great grandfather, serving in the 117th, was in the same battle, was wounded. Uh, There's a lot of stories of of middle and East Tennesseans that served in that unit, and all. Uh, saw a lot of combat under the same circumstances. And it was interesting coming here and doing just a, a simple family story. Again, I'm looking more at, at folks that were relocated, but the, these stories cross a lot of county boundaries. And, and it's it's when you start getting into a lot of these military conflicts, it's interesting to see just how um, everyone is really connected.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting you're talking about families. And to our listeners out there, Um, Joseph has given a great overview of some of the families, but we also, as he brought up during the um, Great Depression, there was a lot of migration in and there was a lot of migration out. And that also happened again in the um, Industrial Revolution. After the war, people started leaving this area and heading a lot to the car plants in the Midwest. So we get a lot of visitors down. From places that are in the Midwest, that will always tell us that their family came from this place. So this this workshop might be a great opportunity for them to learn about um, their families as well. Would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. And if I may say so, one one of the things that I've loved so much about doing this workshop is not just the the interesting things that I get to find out because it is a little bit selfish. I get to do the research for folks and then hopefully reuse some of those stories in my future programs. But it's always interesting to have, you know, five, six, seven, however many folks who will sign up. And they're all folks from, some of them are down visiting, some of them are locals, uh, in varying backgrounds with nothing for all intents and purposes in common, except that they signed up for this program. But when I start talking, particularly, again, you know, you look at all the families that were from one area and from one region, they, they were interconnected. They knew one another. And so I'll do my program for 45 minutes, but then they'll all sit there and start talking and comparing notes and family stories for the next hour or two in the museum. And they become friends and bond over, not because of any experience that they've had with each other, but because that more than likely they're second or third generation removed, were friends or family or just happen to know each other, and they become friends because of that.
1: Well, this, this sounds like a great program. Um, if people were interested in signing up or finding out if they're going to offer, how would they do that?
0: So uh, all of our programs are posted on the park website. Um, um, best way is simply to Google Norris Dam State Park. Uh, it should be the first thing that comes up. It's tnstateparks.com slash, I think, park slash Norris Dam. Um, should be easy to find, and then click on the banner that says Upcoming Events. Uh, any of them that have been posted are there, and it'll give information, give contact info. Uh, and then we usually also try to post up on our social media, which the park has a Facebook and an Instagram.
1: Okay, Joseph, I'm going to put you on the spot. You've done a lot and been in a lot of different parks. If, you, if somebody was visiting Norris Dam State Park for the very first time, what is the must-do that they've got to go do to really experience the park?
0: Oh, that's a hard choice. <clears throat> we, have, we have a very large park that's split into two counties. We have 30 miles of trail. But if I had to say anything, um, I would say go to the dam, park there, walk across it, take a look, take your photos, and then there's a small little trail that starts right there at the parking lot, um, and we call it Lakeside Trail. And you can walk; it's a half mile, and then another half mile up to the back side of the Norris Dam T room. And both of those trails were were built by the Civilian Conservation Corps. Um, you're walking through the woods on on an old trail, surrounded by trees that were planted by the CCC as part of this reforestation effort. And you're walking up to the back of this what was an old restaurant built by the CCC that's now home to uh, hundreds of of weddings and family gatherings every year. Uh, Even though, again, I'm partial to history, so that's what I like to focus. To me, that is the essence of the park. It's not just the fact that we we have exceptional history or we have exceptional flowers or whatnot. It's the fact that we have been here for 90 years providing a wonderful place for – for the public to, to enjoy, to recreate, and hopefully to learn about our natural and cultural history.
1: And the park is free?
0: The park is free.
1: Okay. Joseph, it's been great to visit with you today. We appreciate learning about the programs that are offered at North Stand State Park and that great overview of the history. Um, we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. If you want to know more about this story or more about the Valley Watershed, visit the website at ExploreTRV.com. Join us next time with more local stories from the Valley.
0: A big thank you to our sponsor, Tennessee Valley Authority. Thanks for stopping in to listen today. If you have a great story and want to learn more, follow us on ExploreTRV.com.
1: That's ExploreTRV.com.